Judges chapter 6. We're going to continue in our study of faith. This morning, speaking of the faith of Gideon, let's start in verse 1 and we'll read through verse 7. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up the Malachites and the children of the east, even they came up against them and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come to Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of Midianites the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet. Now go with me down to verse 11. There came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which is in Orpah, that pertained unto Joash. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee. Thou mighty man of valor. I'm going to ask for the gamuts to lead us in prayer this morning as we come. Amen. You may be seated. Most of you know the times, the context, the time of judges. Every man was doing that which was right in his own eyes. For 300 years, we see seven cycles of Israel doing right for just a while. And then they'd fall into idolatry. And God would allow them to be conquered by their enemies. They'd cry out to God and he'd give them a judge who'd deliver them. And at this point, we see Israel once again doing evil, verse 1, in the sight of the Lord. We're living in very similar days. What Israel had done, living there amongst the enemy, they'd compromised. They started living the life that the enemy was living. They started worshiping their gods They'd conformed to those around them. They'd sacrificed principle, and the difference between right and wrong was now blurred. Those lines were blurred. God was angered, and Israel thought that their problem was the Midianites when the real problem was their sin. I think we're living in very similar days, and uh, let me just say this as we look at what's going on in our government and the corruption. I'm not so concerned about the corruption of our government as I am about the corruption in America's Christianity. I'm not so concerned about the apathy that we see in religion in general or among non-denominational churches, but I am concerned about the apathy and the apostasy that we see among independent Baptist churches. And I think while we have our eyes on all these problems around us, we need to look inward the real problem is when we do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, there is a consequence to pay. God's looking for a man. God wanted to deliver them. And the Bible says the angel of the Lord appeared unto Gideon. We see a theophany. I'd really call it a Christophany because it's an appearance of Christ. Christ is the mediator between God and man. And the angel of the Lord appears Unto Gideon, I love this phrase, every time I read it, a smile comes to my face. He appears to Gideon and says, Gideon, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. 
Most of you sitting here are familiar with Gideon, the story of Gideon, the circumstances you know. He was threshing wheat in the wine press. That's not where you thresh wheat. Uh, you need to do that up on a hill where the wind can separate the chaff from the wheat. But the Bible says because he was fearful, he was hiding, verse 11 says, Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press to hide it because the Midianites had lived plundering Israel, devouring what they had done. They had countless camels. We're talking about they had an army of 135,000 men. So there are literally hundreds of thousands of Midianites inhabiting Israel's land. In their own land, they were living imprisoned and impoverished. And they're frustrated. They cry out to God. They're fearful. They're hiding in the rocks and the caves. The Midianites, every time there would be a harvest, they would come through and totally devour it so that the Bible says not even the sheep, the ox, or the ass had to eat. And here's what the angel of the Lord says. Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. Now, how many can you see that characteristic in Gideon. But God wasn't looking at Gideon. God was looking at what he was going to do through Gideon. But Gideon was discouraged. He was depressed. He was despondent. You can see it in his words in verse 13. The Bible says, Gideon said unto him, O my Lord. And this is one of the key words that Gideon constantly uses when he responds and speaks to God. If, if the Lord be with us and he was. Now, here's the problem. You better be careful about allowing circumstances to determine your theology. Talk to people and everything's fine and God is great and they believe in the omnipotent, almighty, all-powerful God. But as soon as they suffer a problem, as soon as they deal with a heartache, their theology changes, their faith wavers. Gideon says, if the Lord be with us, why then is all of this befallen us? He's looking at his circumstances. Matter of fact, he's looking at his God through the eyes of his circumstances. His faith is wavering. He's overcome by fear. And then he says, where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us. No, the problem is God's people had forsaken the Lord. They had turned from God to the idols of those that surrounded them, they were worshiping Baal. And God said, no, I'm not going to allow that. And here is what's so amazing. God had blessed them. They should have honored God with their first fruits. But because they had now honored Baal, his followers were taking the first fruits that belonged to God. The real problem was not their enemies. The real problem was sin and the acceptance of sin. But he says... Where be all the miracles he had heard of Moses and Joshua? Now, you have to understand the frustration because he's looking at the times and the circumstances that they're living in, and he remembers he's heard about Moses and the crossing of the Red Sea. He had heard how the Egyptian army was destroyed. He had heard how water came forth out of the rock and how God had provided for them manna in the wilderness and that their clothes had not grown old. They had need of nothing for 40 years. He had heard of how they entered into the promised land crossing Jordan. He had heard of the fall of Jericho. He had heard of all these miracles and he said, if God be with us, why is it that we don't see any miracles? Now let me say this, when God goes to use a man, 
I do believe he was discouraged. I do believe he was despondent. I do believe he was fearful. But I do believe also when God chooses a man, he needs someone who is truly aware of the condition of the world that he is living in. It's amazing how Christians have covered their eyes and lied to themselves, convincing themselves that everything's okay when it's really not. I'll tell you what, we are living in wicked, wicked times in a wicked culture that hates God, hates this book, laughs at everything that is morally right and pure. They know nothing of God, nothing of this book. He understood the times. And he said, why is it? Now, God's still a God of miracles. No, I'm not a Pentecostal. I'm not charismatic. And I do not believe that the same gifts are for today, but I still believe we serve a miraculous God who wants to do the supernatural in our lives. And I don't understand the average Christian how satisfied and content he is living outside of the realm of the supernatural. Content to do his own work and call it God's work. Content to produce his own incredible acts and feats, pat himself on the back, congratulate himself, Brag on what he's done and totally leave God out. Now, we see a man. Can you imagine his face when the angel of the Lord comes? Verse 14, the Lord looked upon him. I can't imagine that. Can you imagine looking face to face, eye to eye with the Lord Jesus Christ? The Lord looked upon him and said, go in this thy might, because God knew what he was going to do through Gideon, how do you think Gideon was going to respond? He's looking at himself. Now, he wasn't just in the wine press physically, but he was in the wine press emotionally and spiritually. He was, he was still working, but he was hiding. This is the average Christian. Fearful, trying to work, but hide at the same time. You know how many Christians just want to stay invisible? Because I'm seeing how I actually have to fight this world and the world's philosophy let me do the work of God and just stay invisible. And here's the question. Wherewith, verse 15, shall I save Israel? That's a good question. That's a reasonable question. Let's be honest. Who in here can say I have the ability? Now, God's not worried about your ability. He's worried about your availability. How silly are we to think God actually needs us and what we have to offer him? But he's looking at his limited abilities and saying, wherewith shall I save Israel? Then he gives two excuses. My family is poor. I'm poverty stricken. Why in the world would you even look my direction? And I am the least. I'm the run. I'm the youngest. And God at that moment, the Lord did not say, you know what? I got this all wrong. I knocked on the wrong door. I just stumbled across the wrong person. I don't know what I was thinking. Can you point me to your older brother? Can you show me where the wealthier neighborhoods are and I'll, I'll just go through that neighborhood and see if I can find someone with better characteristics to lead Israel out of bondage from the hand of the Midianites? No, verse 16, this is what this whole chapter is about. He says, the Lord said to him, unto Gideon, Surely I will be with thee. Now, as we talk about faith, I want to mention just a few things this morning. Number one, faith is understanding that the power of God is not limited by circumstances. 
How often do we look at God in the light of our circumstances? We can't understand this because we are limited by circumstances. You know, it's amazing. This week, a week that's so important uh, for this church, there'll be people that'll miss a class or not show up, not because they don't want to be here, but because a starter went out on their vehicle. We are limited by a $120 piece of metal. Keeps us. We're limited by distance. We're limited by mountains. We're limited by water. We're limited by strength or lack of strength. We're limited by heat. We're limited by darkness. All of those things place limitations upon us. None of those things limit God. Gideon is looking at these circumstances. He sees an army of 135,000. He's lost his crop year after year. They're at a point of starvation and desperation, and he puts God in a little box thinking God is limited because the Midianite army is so great. Do you understand? We can't even count their camels. And God says, no. Our circumstances have nothing to do with the might and the power of God. Matter of fact, God's always at his best when the circumstances are at their worst, humanly speaking. This was a hopeless situation, and that's when God steps up. You know what? God wants things to become impossible, so that way he gets all the glory. You know what we do as humans? We like for everything to be in order. We like for the circumstance to be perfect. So we work behind the scenes to make sure all the circumstances perfectly in order. We put the decorations up. We put everything in their place. God doesn't need circumstances to be in order. When he created the, the heavens and the earth, the world and the planets and the stars, nothing was in order. He said, I don't need anything in order. That's not going to limit me. The darkness isn't going to limit me. The lack of any." Uh, substance or resource is not going to limit me. And that's why Gideon was so fearful. He kept putting his eyes back on the circumstance and his, on his own limitations and lack of abilities. And God said, Gideon, you're missing the whole point. This is about me. This isn't about you. I uh, will be with you. Now, here's what Gideon did. Gideon was constantly looking for a sign. God, I'm going to obey you. But you have to understand, I know my limitations. How often do we think and get focused on our limitations? Have you ever thought about a nail? Goes through your tire and suddenly you're limited in what you can do. A battery goes out on your phone. And you can't speak to someone Outside of your house, did you know that God doesn't need a phone or a battery to speak to someone 50 miles away? He shows up anywhere, anytime, speaks to anyone that he wants to. But he's about ready to get this man involved. And Gideon is nervous and fearful and seeking a sign. Now we can't, I want to take you through this scripture. And as I prepared this message, I debated on how much to preach and how much not to preach. And here's what I hate to do because I have ADHD. I, I'm always tempted to start another sub-series of messages under the series that I'm already preaching. And I'm going to resist that temptation. I remember as a young preacher struggling to find things to preach. And now I struggle on what not to preach. So instead of starting a series of messages, a sub-series of messages this morning, I'm just going to preach it all in one message. 
but we don't want to talk about this first sign. He simply asked for a sign. God gave him a sign. Look what it says in verse 22. When Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said to him, Peace. Be unto thee, don't fear. But that was Gideon's lifestyle. He was just a fearful person, although God called him a mighty man of valor. The Lord said to him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. What does that mean, Gideon? That means the Lord is thy peace. Now, there's only one problem. Here's what we think we think peace comes by God eliminating the problem or changing the circumstance. God said, peace comes when I get with you. I'm not going to eliminate the enemy. I'm going to get with you. I'm going to be with you and help you through this problem. And that'll bring you peace. But this peace was short-lived because we soon find Gideon once again nervous. And God gives him a, a primary level, a junior level task to fulfill. Here's what I like. Don't you like when you're growing in faith, God doesn't dump everything on you all at once. He lets you grow. It's like school. He takes you through kindergarten and first grade and second grade. He doesn't just skip grades and allow you to go from sixth grade to tenth grade in your growth and journey of faith. But he's taking him one step at a time. And here's what he tells him in verse 25. He says, I want you, Gideon, to start at your own house. Now, here's the problem. Gideon's already making excuses. He's already throwing out the excuse, I'm poor and I'm the run of the family. And God says, listen, I'm going, here's one phrase that will eliminate all excuses. I am going to be with you. That solves every problem. God says, this is not about you, Gideon. This is not about your strength. This isn't about your ability. This isn't about your resources. This is about me, Gideon. And here's where we're going to start. This is faith. Faith starts despite the fears. It takes one step of obedience at a time. That is faith. A Christian that is not obedient is a Christian without faith. We, we constantly think that faith is moving mountains. Faith is simply obeying every command in this book, listening to the Holy Spirit day by day, saying, I'll obey whatever God tells me to do, whatever he leads me to do. That's exactly what I will do. When he asked for fleeces, you say, was that right? When he asked for signs, was that right? No, it wasn't right, but you have to understand, he didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He didn't have the written word of God. He didn't have a pastor. He didn't have a church. He didn't have all the advantages that we have. So don't walk around asking God for a fleece because normally you already have it written down in black and white what you're supposed to do. God, I don't, you want me to go to soul winning this morning? Could you give me a fleece? It's a wonder he doesn't drop a brick on your head. You have everything you need. You know what you're supposed to do. But here's what he says. He says, Gideon, I want you to start with your own house. Now, before God will ever use you, do you know he's going to direct you to start with your own house? Verse 25, he says, Throw down the altar bell that thy father hath and cut down the grove that is by it. And listen to me, fathers, don't ever think God's going to use you somewhere else or in some other ministry. He's going to start at your house. He's going to say, let's start small. You take a step of faith. You clean out the garbage in your own house. It's amazing how many Christians want to do something big for God. How many are willing? How many will walk an altar? How many will say, I surrender to the mission field? You need to start in your own house. 
Your first step of faith, if you can't stand up to your teenagers, if you can't stand up to your wife, if you can't stand up to your own family, if you can't stand up and say, listen, there is garbage, there are idols, there are things that I've allowed into our house that have affected our faith, and they've got to go. The average father, the average man, the average husband doesn't have enough gumption and grit and backbone. The average husband knows that TV is out of control, but if he were to turn that off, regulate it, or throw it out, he would get turned off, regulated, or thrown out. Man, the first step, God's never going to use you in the ministry. God's never going to use you in the church. God's never going to use you to reach your full potential until you take a step of faith in your own house and tear out the idols. And most men in this generation don't have enough backbone to be spiritual leaders in their own homes. He was fearful. He said, I got to tear down the altar. God said, you just don't tear down the altar. You build an altar unto Jehovah God. Boy, we can, we're so concerned about this nation, the direction of this nation. We ought to be concerned about our homes because how many homes haven't even started right here? How many men haven't, don't have enough faith to obey God in their own homes and say, we're going to rip out the altars to Baal. We're going to build an altar to God and reestablish biblical order. So, because he's fearful, he gets 10 friends together, and he goes at night. You know what, man? If you don't have enough backbone to do it during the day, sneak around your house at night. <laughs> Call that cable company, have them cut off the, the cable, and you will weep the rest of your life. You lose your children to pornography addiction because you weren't man enough to eliminate access to evil. He started in his own home. Although, look what it says in verse 27, he took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. And so it was, oh, look at the next phrase, because he feared. Listen, faith isn't the absence of fear. Faith is overcoming the fear, saying, I'm going to obey, although I'm fearful in my obedience. So he got a group of about 10 men and he said, let's go get this Done, let's make this happen. What's the plan? Let's wait till the whole city's asleep. Let's do it about 1 o'clock. Can you guys be quiet? <laughs> Go barefoot. I don't want to make any noise. And listen, when we tear that down, do not bring a chainsaw. <laughs> it's got to be quiet. I don't even want anyone to know he feared so that he could not do it by day. He did it by night. Now look at the response. He knew what the response would be. Verse 30, when the men of the city found out what had happened, then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out thy son that he may die. This is why most men don't want to take a stand in their own house. Because that wife's going to wake up, that teenager's going to wake up and say, bring out this thy father that he may die. <laughs> He's going to get the silent treatment. He's going to be punished by those in his own household if he takes a stand. And this is why roles have been messed up. This is why men don't want to be the spiritual leader. They know there's a consequence to be paid uh, because that wife has had that leadership role for so long. As soon as a man steps up and tries to be the spiritual leader, he knows there's a price to be paid. Because he's allowed those children to do things they ought not to do when he takes a stand, he knows it's going to create problems in his own house with his own children. You shouldn't be surprised by the response. You shouldn't be surprised by the response of this world. 
Now, idolatry was condemned. These were God's people. They were the ones that were living wickedly, but they treated Gideon as if he were the wicked one because he tore down the uh, altar to Baal. I wonder where Gideon was hiding at this point. I wonder once what he did after he tore that thing down. He was probably sweating. It's 45 degrees out, and he is sweating. He's probably back in the wine press. Gideon, they're looking for you. I know. Thankfully, his dad saves them by saying, listen, let Baal defend himself. If he's a god and you're praying to him, he has legs and he can't walk. He has hands and he can't work. He has eyes and he can't see. He has a body and he's lifeless. Let Baal defend himself. Now, here's what happens. When you do right and you take a step of faith and you decide to follow God, no matter how fearful you are, here's the blessing. That means God is going to get involved. How many of you have seen that in your own life? You're fearful and you took a step of faith and then you watch God involve, get involved. And he gave you a little bit of courage, a little bit of spiritual courage. He said, God really did do that. Here's our fear because... We know how frail, how limited, how powerless, how weak we are. And that scares us. But we forget how powerful he is. So Gideon takes a step by faith and God says, I'm going to reward that faith. I'm going to empower you with my Holy Spirit. Look what it says in verse 34. Let's read verse 33. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together, went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord. Now let me ask you this. Would or could Gideon do any of this without the Spirit of the Lord resting upon him? Read the book of Judges. The sin in this book and the characters and the frailty, and yet these men are mentioned in the book of Hebrews, in the hall of faith. But you see, each one was weak and frail, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is why God came to him and said, Thou mighty man of valor, because he was going to put his Holy Spirit upon him and empower him. And here's what he does. As soon as the Holy Spirit comes upon him, What's the next thing that happens? He blew a trumpet. You say, what's so amazing about that? Folks, this was a call to war. Okay, hold on for a second. Let me review the circumstances. There are 135,000 Midianite soldiers out there. You know what kind of idiot you've got to be to pick up the trumpet? Can you imagine Gideon? God said, Gideon, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to lead this army. I'm going to use you to bring men together. I'm going to use you to de defeat the Midianites. Gideon knew at some point he was going to have to blow that trumpet. I wonder how long he carried that thing around. And the Holy Spirit, I mean, it was starting to rust. And the Holy Spirit said, I'm just going to have to help him out there. Now, if he would have done that in his own strength, he would have been out there. Sorry, Lord, I gave it my best shot. But suddenly he got up there. He didn't know what had overcome him. He picked up that trumpet. He knew it was about ready to happen. He was going to call the men of Israel. And he said, oh, my goodness. He started to gather the people of Manasseh. He started to gather the people of Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali. Next thing you know, he has 32,000 men gathered together. He's pumped up. Boys, we are going to battle. Did you know 
know what you need to do for your faith, you need to take a step. I don't care how fearful you are. Stop waiting to totally eliminate your fear and hopefully it'll just disseminate and disappear. And at some point, there'll be a total absence of fear. I've been in God's work for over 20 years. I don't care if it's sowing or preaching, whatever it is I have to do, there's never been an absence of fear. There's been an excitement, an anticipation, a love, and a passion. But I've never dealt with, I think the absence of fear is stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> You're basically a retard if there's no fear. Have you ever seen those people, you know, you go up to the Grand Canyon, and it's, it's just a cliff, and it's two miles down, those people walk up, put their feet on the edge. That's called retardation. <laughs> you say, preacher, why do you stand 10 feet back? I have working brain cells. That's not smart. What if the wind blows? What if a kid comes by? What if someone says, boo? That's the wrong place to be. And if you have an active brain, you're going to say, if that's a cliff that drops off for a mile, I'm better off standing far enough back that even if I do get scared, even if I do fall, I'm still safe. Intelligence, faith, none of that is the absence of fear. It's the overcoming of your fear. It's obedience, saying, I'll simply do what God tells me to do. And that's what Gideon continuously is doing. He's taking steps. He passes that first stage, that first level. He goes and cleans up his own house, his own home. He rears up an altar to the Lord God. And God says, okay, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit upon you. Here's what faith is. When you understand it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Christian, the best thing you can do, here, here's faith, is understanding it has nothing, absolutely, the supernatural has nothing to do with you. It's all God. This is what will help you take steps and get involved and do the supernatural. When you understand this is not about me. Preaching is not about me. Soul winning is not about me. The work of God is not about me. Sunday school class in junior church in VBS, none of this is about me. It's about God. I can't do a work in the heart of a child. If you ever thought about the foolishness of preaching, a man gets up, gathers a few thoughts together, stands before a congregation. His words come out of his mouth. They're supposed to go through your ear and mind down to your heart and change your soul. Humanly speaking, that is impossible. But when the Spirit of God gets involved, how do you take someone that's never heard of the Word of God, doesn't understand the Bible, doesn't even consider it to be inspired or preserved, and you put them in a circumstance where they hear the gospel, they understand they're a sinner, they come under conviction. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Gideon, this is not about you. Gideon, this isn't about your resources. This is about his resources. Gideon, this isn't about your strength. How silly is that? This is about God's strength. This isn't about your intelligence, Gideon. This is about God's wisdom. Gideon, this isn't about your power or might. This is about God's power or might. And how foolish are we as Christians to actually think that something in the work of God has to do with us. He said, this is about God. Do you remember in Judges 16? Do you remember when, when Samson actually became deceived for a little while and he thought his might, his strength, and his power was about him? 
Now we read, we understand that every time Samson did something incredible, those supernatural acts were simply that. Man can do nothing supernatural. That was God working through Samson. But at some point, he became so full of himself, he was convinced that he was doing something supernatural. One of the saddest verses in all the Bible is found in Judges 16, verse 20. She said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. He awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before. He said, this is a normal circumstance. I've always saved myself in the past. I've always been able to deliver myself. I've always had the strength to get out of horrific circumstances. But he forgot it was God. He forgot it was the Holy Spirit that was coming upon him. Look what he does. He says, I will go out as at other times and shake myself. He wished not that the Lord was departed from him. And when the Holy Spirit was gone, his power was gone. When God was gone, his might was gone. And when he said, I'm going to shake myself, that's exactly what he did. Have you ever seen someone shake? That's a sign of weakness, not strength. And he went out with those ropes tied around him and shook. And that's when they took his eyes and poked them out with a hot iron made him work like a mule because he thought he could actually do something without the power of the Holy Ghost. What a tragic mistake. Gideon at some point, his faith is growing. He understands it has to be gone. The Holy Spirit of God has to be upon him. Now look what it says in chapter 7, verse 2. Here's the blessing of faith. When you exercise faith, no matter how small, it draws God into the equation. How many of you want God in the equation? If you're teaching a class this week, if you're running a route, if you're working in the altar room, doesn't matter what you're doing, leading a song, whatever your duty may be, whatever your ministry may be, if you're down at the prison, if you're at a nursing home, whatever God has you doing, don't you want him involved? And when you, by faith, simply obey, that gets God involved. Now Gideon has God involved. Now imagine Gideon, this fearful man that was hiding in the wine press. Now he has 32,000 men, and these men are excited. They are ready to free themselves from the rule of the Midianites. So you have 32,000 men that are pumped up, ready to go, and God looks at Gideon. Look what it says in verse 2. It says, Gideon, this won't work. The Lord said to Gideon, the people that are with thee, they're too many. Now, hold on for a second. Let's do the math. The enemy soldiers are 135,000. He has 32,000. That's one to five. How many of you want to fight with those odds? How about if I give five men a sword and I give you a sword and say, it's time to do battle? What if we simply go to a boxing ring and I put gloves on five people? You say, what are you doing? That's your opponent. Don't worry, they're not that big. It's just you against five. What would you say? The odds are stacked against me. Are you crazy? So all they were, they were excited. Gideon was still thinking, we can do this, but God, you, you're going to really have to help us because it's five against one, and, and we really are going to need your help. And God says, hold on for a second. The people that are with you are too many, lest Israel... Vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Are you understanding God's philosophy? God says, This is about my glory. This isn't about your glory. This isn't about you looking good. This is about me. 
And God will not share his glory. And how quick man is to steal the glory that belongs to God. All it takes is a good message or a great week or soul saved or something impressive to happen or a good song to take place. Anything like that. And man is quick to steal God's glory. God says, hold on for a second. This is about me. He said, get in. I don't need you to get any glory. When I said, thou mighty man of valor, I wonder if the angel of the Lord winked. Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. Gideon, still shaking. And he's looking at the Lord saying, okay, Lord, I'm not a mathematician, but if you give me a second with this stick in the sand, I'm going to figure this out. According to the math, things are still not looking good. God says, I don't want... Israel to vaunt themselves, saying, we saved ourselves from the Midianites. Now, therefore, go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart from the Mount Gilead. Now, this, this is funny. Now, you've got to understand, Gideon had gathered together like-minded men, fearful people. The fearful leader attracted fearful men. Can you imagine Gideon? I've got to stand up and ask them if they're fearful and then those that raise their hands, I've got to send them home. Yep, that's, that's exactly what we want to do. So he stands up, gets their attention. How many of you men are faint-hearted, fearful? You're just shaking. And God said, no, no, don't, don't do the whole shaking and fear thing. There's no one shaking and fear. Just ask them if they're fearful. Okay, okay, let me reword that. How many of you, just ask them if they're a little bit afraid. Okay. How many of you are a little bit afraid? 22,000 men raise their hand. Gideon's heart falls out of his chest. Gideon says, okay, go home. And they said, praise the Lord. <laughs> I like that Gideon. Man, he's quite the leader. <laughs> now, the amazing thing was not the 22,000 left. The amazing thing was that 10,000 stayed. Maybe there were a liar or two among those 10,000. Now we're dealing with odds that are about 13 to 1. Things are looking desperate at this point. Then God says, uh, Gideon, hold on for a second. Verse 4, and the Lord said, the people are yet too many. Bring them down to the water. Gideon's like, oh my goodness. So he gets them down to the water. What do I say, Lord? He said, just have them drink for a minute. Everyone got down, drank. Now, if I would have been one of those men, 10,000, you know what your preacher would have done. I would have said, I'll pass. You got 10,000 faces in the creek? I'm out. I'll just pray for rain. I'm not drinking from that stream. And then he said, how many of you put your faces into the water? 9,700 men raised. He could barely find the ones that hadn't. God said, tell them go home. Hold on, let me get this straight. Those that lap go home or those that put the face in the water go home? Face in the water, send them home. If you put your face in the water... Walk slowly. <laughs> you can spend the night in your tents close by, but at some point you need to go home. And he gathers 300. Now you're down to 1% of his original army. You know what God was saying? I want to make sure everyone knows this is absolutely impossible. That's what faith is about. God doing the impossible through you. And until you get in your head, God's not limited by circumstances. God's not worried about you. God's not looking for your ability. God's not impressed by who you are. He doesn't even need who you are or what you have. 
He said, this is about me getting and I'll do what I need to do by putting my Holy Spirit upon you. I am a God unlimited by what is going on in this world. You know why we have so many Christians living fearful, looking, they're reading the news and they're watching TV and they see everything that's going on and sovereign God with a sovereign plan leading us right up to the end times and at Christ, the one world system. Did you see it says one world? It's been written for 2,000 years. You just read it? You just figured out God has a plan? You get a watch as his plan unfolds? Now, here's what I like. Yesterday as I was studying, I was reading a couple commentaries, and I, I love commentaries. Very humorous, often humorous. You know what every commentary I read said? Same thing. Now, Gideon had to figure out what good soldiers were. A fearful man can't make a good soldier. And then the whole face in the water, that means they weren't aware enough of their circumstances or surroundings, and they were putting the other soldiers in danger by lowering their face into the water. It was the smart men that was using one hand to cup the water and drink. Chapter 7, 2 through 4 tells you it had nothing to do with the makings of a good soldier. God was simply saying, I'm just getting rid of soldiers. You know what all this was about? It was about 300 men. God wasn't concerned who was fearful, who wasn't fearful, who drank like a dog and who drank like a frog. God was concerned about getting 300 men so he would be honored and he would be glorified. God wasn't saying, oh, great, now I got 300 soldiers that are aware of their surroundings. That's going to help me out. If he was concerned about help, he should have got the men that put their face in the water because they're more likely to have strong lips to blow the trumpets. You think God was really good? He was just saying, what's the biggest idea I have here to just get rid of 22,000 men at a time? Send them home. Now, what happens? As soon as his army goes from 32,000 down to 300, his faith goes from the same heights to the same valley because he starts to shake again. So God in his patience, here's what I love about these scriptures. You see the patience and the mercy of God. He doesn't write him off. He doesn't throw him out. He doesn't change leadership. I mean, come on, Gideon. Thou mighty man of valor. But 300, Lord, and we got to fight 135,000? Okay, Lord, I could do the math on the whole 135 to 32, but I can't figure out math on 135 to 300. God tells him, verse 10, if thou fear, if, uh, we're talking about Gideon here. His shaking probably hadn't stopped. He's back in his tent again. Oh, my goodness. So God says, I got a plan here. You need another sign. This time it's funny because he didn't ask for a sign, but God knows he needs one. It was always Gideon in the past asking for a sign. Now it's God saying, hey, Gideon, come here for a minute. You need a sign? Yeah, <laughs> that would really help. Here's what he tells him to do, verse 12. He said, the Midianites and the Malachites and all the children of the east lay along the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. Their camels were without numbers, as sand by the sea. That's not talking about they were heavy smokers at all. That's talking about animals. This isn't that modern day army verse 13 when Gideon was come behold there was a man that told a dream now you gotta understand so God sends him down to the enemy army so Gideon goes down there he's shaking he's in a disguise can you imagine Gideon with a fake beard and and he goes down there and there's some men talking and here's what happened he, he's listening he's with his buddies like shh 
So they're hiding. They're dressed up like trees. <laughs> and they're listening to what's going on. And this one man says, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled to the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it. The tent lay along. That piece of barley bread killed everyone. Now, that's what I told my mom when I was a kid. I said, Mom, barley bread will kill a man. She didn't believe me, but little did I know I was preaching a Bible principle. Okay, that's a Bible principle. Barley can kill a man. Seven grain bread can kill a man. Mothers, don't do that to your children. So he says, man, I was dreaming. This big piece of barley bread tumbled down and smote the tent. And everybody in the tent, and his fellow answered and said, this is nothing else save the sword of getting out of the house. Me, I would have said, this is nothing more than the bacon of your mother. But in this case, it was a sign from God. He said, this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon of the son of Joash, the man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. And it was so when Gideon heard that the telling of the dream, the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped, he returned into the host of Israel and he said, Arise, the Lord hath delivered you. You know what? We read about these men, we forget. They were as weak and frail and human as we are. God said, Gideon, you need a sign? <laughs> sure, sure, we like that, Lord. Okay, go, go listen to the enemy. Now, I don't know what I would have thought about the whole bread story. I don't even think he caught the whole barley thing. I think he just heard his name. He's like, wow, they're talking about me, God, what's going to happen? They're already living defeated. He goes back up. Now, why is it that we constantly need a sign to have our faith increased when we have a book and a God with a past, an almighty God that's never failed? And he said, Gideon, this is the only comfort you need, this is the only promise you need. I am with thee. He said, okay, Lord, I'm ready to go. What's plan? He said, okay, here's what we need, trumpets. Hundreds of trumpets. What's, what's playing? Trumpets and lamps and pitchers. Can you imagine? We're going to go to war with Iraq. What, what do we need to buy? Airsoft guns, Nerf pistols. And let's go ahead and order about 50 of those uh, water machine guns. Can you imagine what's going through Gideon's mind at this time? First of all, the odds are against us. Now you want us to get trumpets and lamps and pitchers. Here's what God said. You're going to go in the middle of the night and you're going to blow those trumpets. You're going to divide up into three groups. You're going to blow those trumpets, break those pitchers and hold up those lamps and the enemy will be defeated. Now, this was 12th grade. God had already taken them step by step leading up to this moment. They get out there in the middle of the night. Now, imagine this. We think, well, in the middle of the night, can you imagine that the enemy army if you were awakened, can you imagine in your house, if your kids in the middle of the night decided to play a trick on you, and at midnight one of them played a trumpet, the other one smashed a pitcher, and one held up a lamp in front of your face? <laughs> yeah, you may jump and run too. <laughs> That's what they did. But it wasn't the smashing of the pitchers. It wasn't the lamp in their face. It wasn't the sound of the trumpet. It was God magnifying all of that in their minds. And in their minds, they saw absolute slaughter. They ran until they could run no longer in fear. You know why? God was saying, get in. I want everyone to know this is about me. 
Faith is about me. Stop looking at your circumstances. Stop looking at your limitations. This is about me. Now go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be done. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. God's Hall of Fame. Abram's mentioned here. Noah's mentioned. Enoch's mentioned. Those I can understand. Jacob and Joseph and Moses. Those I can all understand. But the next ones mentioned on the list are harder to swallow. What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak. How do you remember the story of Barak? I can't do it. Okay, I'll find a woman to help you. Samson, Jephthah. You know what God's saying? When it comes to faith, when it comes to the supernatural, when it comes to the mighty power of God, this has nothing to do with you. You just get me involved and I will take care of whatever needs to be taken care of. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.